Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. God indeed is the way maker, the one who transforms hearts and turns around lives. And uh, he indeed turns around hearts. You know, in Genesis, well, I suppose to bring you the message, but before I do so, I must do something. I must acknowledge something because I can't move on without doing it. You know, in Genesis 2.18, God said, after creating Adam and living all by himself for a few hours, says, you know, it's not good for man to walk about this life path alone. So I'm going to invite up at this time George and Christine. You know, George, you all know him. He's our devoted Christian member here at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church. And he's been walking the path of life by himself for a few years. And the Lord says, you know, it's not good for George to walk alone. Amen. I'm going to bring him a helper, Amen. a companion. And, uh, and the Lord did. Amen. The Lord sent Christine Warren... And she became part of our, she signed up for our Holy Spirit small group. George was already signed in that group. Both of them very active participants in their giving their life story, giving their life to God every Sabbath after Sabbath. And to no surprise, God works in our lives and brings about restoration. God is in the business of restoration. And I'm glad that Middletown Church, myself included, were able to be instruments in God's hands to bring about restoration in you all's lives. So last Sabbath, right here in this very place, we had a service, a beautiful wedding ceremony for the two of them. And uh, I pronounced them husband and wife. And this morning, today, I wanted to present to you George and uh, Christine Carson. Amen. The newest couple. This is a newest couple of our church. So God bless you all. We're so glad and grateful that you are a couple now. Amen. 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 <laughs> Open with me your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Uh, I will be using New King James Version. So if you have your electronic device with the Bible app, Uverse or Blue Letter Bible, by the way, that's the best app out there to study the Bible with a lot of resources. Blue Letter Bible. 
open it to John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judah Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, After that, he poured out into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Verse 15, so when, verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's bow our heads for prayer once again. Lord, we just open your word and we ask that you will inspire us. We ask that you will open our hearts to receive your words and and to have the soil our hearts receive that seed of truth that you have for us in your word. These lessons that we get from the upper room, Lord, please make them bring forth fruit in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when and where did this event 
take place. Well, Dr. Luke, in Luke 22, 7 to 13, gives us the timing and the location of this event. So keep your bookmark or your finger at John 13, because we're going to come back. It's going to be our message for the day. But let's go to Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, Luke said, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do, I, where do you want us to prepare? And he, Jesus, said to them, behold, when you have entered the city... A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and founded just as Jesus had said to them, and they prepare the Passover. So when is this story taking place? It is the day of the unleavened bread. And the, uh, the event takes place before the feast of the Passover. Where does it take place as far as geographical location? is in Jerusalem. The city is Jerusalem. The place is the guest room or the upper room. It is in this room that Jesus has his last supper before he died. And it is in this upper room that Jesus presents and teaches his disciples the hours before he is taken away from them when he was unjustly judged, condemned, and crucified. It is this passage of scriptures, John 13, 1 to actually John chapter 13 to chapter 17, that needs to receive a voice and a space into our hearts. I've been recently fascinated reading the rich spiritual and doctrinal lessons that Jesus taught his disciples in these last hours in the upper room. So, the gist of today's passage, if I were to ask you, what did Jesus do in John 13? 1 to 17. What did Jesus do? A lot of us, no doubt, will probably say, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He did the foot washing service. Or he initiated or instituted the service of humility, what we call. That's how Christians read and see John 13, 1 to 17. And it happens, everything it happens in the upper room. 
So we're going to look at some lessons from the upper room today and in the weeks to follow. Let's read again verses 4 and 5. John 13, verses 4 and 5. We read from the New King James Version of the Bible. John writes about Jesus, verse 4. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. We learned when and where this event took place from Luke. However, John gives a wonderful context of this story. When you look at John 13, 1, verses 1 to 3, according to him, there is a timing context, there is a missional context, and there is a spiritual or theological context of this story. From the perspective of time, this happens before the feast of the Passover. It's the day of the unleavened bread, but the story happens then. From the perspective of mission, Jesus knew the hour had come. And that he should depart from this world to his Father. Also from the mission standpoint, Jesus loves the world. For God so loved the world, right? But Jesus loves his own. And he loves them to the end. In that verse 2, John tells us that Jesus knew four things. He knew that his hour had come. In verse 1, he knew that the Father had given everything, all things, into his hands. That verse 3. He knew that he had come from the Father and he will go back to the Father. Verse 1 and 3. And he knew who it was, who he was, who will betray him. That's in verse 11. From the spiritual context... Of this upper room story. We learn from John. That Jesus is harassed by the devil. See in fact Satan has been after Jesus. From the moment he was born. Remember how through Herod. He was trying to kill all the babies. All the male baby boys who were under two years of age. Trying to get Jesus too. So Satan did that. And then in, right before Jesus is about to start his ministry. In the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 experience of Jesus. Right there, the devil is trying to discourage him and to take him out of the ministry, if he can. And now, as Jesus is at the end of his ministry, again, he is trying to take him out before he fulfills his mission. And in John verse 2, 
John records the devil having put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. And they, in verse 27, actually John writes, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So think about this with me. It is the upper room. And in the upper room we have the Son of God, the Son of Man. And in that same upper room we have Satan, the devil, entering a man, finding his way to harass Jesus. I think many times we discount the power and the clever abilities of the devil. However, Jesus, knowing that Judas will betray him, he did not hesitate because he loved them all. He loved them to the end, John says. In Greek, the Greek words to the end, aistelos, is translated to the end, more literally, to perfection or to completion. He loved them to perfection. He loved them to completion. Another translation has it, to the uttermost. He loved them to the uttermost. Let me offer you another, not translation, but interpretation. He loved his own. He saw it through. That means he went through the bitter experience of the cross. God tells us that Jesus prayed, Father, save me. From this hour in chapter 12. The other gospel writers tell us that in the garden at Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Having loved his own, he loved them to the completion of the means for their salvation. This is Jesus. That's what he does. And this love is manifested towards them in this upper room. In this first verses of John chapter 13. Jesus does something that surprises them. It shocks them, and it blows their minds away, and probably yours too. John 13, verses 4 and 5 says that Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with towel with with which he was girded. See, not long ago, not long before this, the disciples were in a strife. Who should be accounted the greatest? The disciples clung to their favorite idea that Jesus would rise to power and take position on the throne of David. And in their heart, each of them still longed for the highest place in the kingdom, in the earthly kingdom. Ellen White says, they placed their own estimate upon themselves 
and upon one another. And instead of regarding their brethren as more worthy, they had placed themselves first. And she goes on to tell us that when the disciples entered the upper room, their hearts were full of resentful feelings. Wow. You know, at a feast, it was customary for a servant to wash the feet of the, uh, of the guests. And on this occasion, preparations were made. You know, there was the pitcher of water, the basin, and the towel. They were there, ready for washing of the feet. But no servant was present. It was the disciples' part to perform this job. But each of them, giving in to pride, determined not to act as servant, and for a few long minutes, there is silence. And by their silence, they refused to humble themselves. Now the question is, how was Jesus going to bring this poor man to where Satan would not gain victory over them? How could he show that a mere profession of discipleship did not make them disciples? Just claiming to be a disciple doesn't make you a disciple. How could he show them what is loving service and true humility? How was he to ignite love in their hearts again and enable them to comprehend what he longed to tell them? Well, the disciples made no move towards serving one another. Jesus waited for a while to see what they would do. And then, verse 4 tells us that he rose from the table. He took off his outer garment, which, which would obstructed him from movements. He took a towel, girded himself. Now, can you imagine the disciples watching every move of their, of their master? Yeah, they were surprised. But they were very interested in watching every single move of Jesus. What's he going to do? But no one said a word. None of them made a move. In silence... They waited to see what was to follow. In verse 5 of John 13, John says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Ellen White says that this action opened 
the eyes of the disciples. Guilt and humiliation filled their hearts and they understood. They kind of like the light went on. They understood the unspoken rebuke of Jesus and saw themselves in a totally new light. My friends, that is how Jesus expressed his love for his disciples. See, their selfish spirit filled them with sorrow, but he did not engage with them regarding their difficulty of living the Christian life. Ellen White says that instead, he gave them an example they would never forget. That's what Jesus is also expecting of all of us, his disciples in 2021. He wants us to follow in his footsteps and to love those around us as he loved his disciples. See, when someone does not understand and refuses to live the Christian life they're supposed to live because they're disciples or they claim to be disciples or Christians, rather than engaging them, he calls us to love them. He calls us to serve them. And this is the first lesson we get. Maybe it's the greatest lesson we learn from Jesus in the upper room. When another disciple does not walk the Christian walk, he calls us to love and to serve them. Wow. See, Jesus' love for his disciples was not easily disturbed. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and was going to God. Jesus was fully aware of his divinity, yet he laid aside his royal crown and his kingly robes, and he took the form of a servant. The king of kings became the servant of servants. Think about that, my friends. The king of kings became the servant of servants. That's the chapter that I would like you to read in Desire of Ages. A lot of this comes from that. The king of kings became the servant of servants. If the king of kings, Jesus, did that, what am I supposed to do as his disciple, as his follower? I'm supposed to do the same, right? One of the last acts of Jesus' life on earth was to gird himself as servant and perform the job of a servant. Now, before the Passover, we know that Judas met for the second time with the priests and scribes and made a deal, made a contract with them to deliver Jesus into their hands. Yet he mingled with the disciples afterwards as if nothing was going on. He showed interest in preparing for the feast. And the rest of the disciples, they had no clue of the purpose of Judas. It was Jesus and Jesus only who was able and he could read his secret. Yet Jesus did not expose him. That's what Elaine White says. 
So the second lesson we learn from Judas today is when someone fails to live the Christian life, Jesus did not expose him publicly. Ellen White says that Jesus hungered for Judas' soul. He felt for him such a burden as for Jerusalem when he wept over the city. His heart was crying, how can I give you up? How can I give you up, Judas? That's what was going on in Jesus' heart, in Jesus' mind. And guess what? That powerful love was felt by Judas. There is nowhere that we find this. I found this in this servant of servants in, in the Desire of Ages. Wonderful description of what's going on in that dynamics in the upper room then. That's what was going on in, in, in Jesus' mind. And when Jesus' hands were washing Judas' dirty feet. And wiping them with a towel. She writes that the heart of Judas thrilled through and through with the impulse then and there to confess his sin. Wow. See, that's how the Christian is supposed to love his fellow brother disciple who is not walking in the Christian walk. Even Judas... In his hardness of the heart, when Jesus himself humbled, when Jesus became the servant of servants, when Jesus did not engage his evil planning, when Jesus did not expose him, but rather loved them and served them, that was the moment when Judas felt loved all the way. And Ellen White says that Judas' heart was so melted by the fire of love that came from Jesus that for a few moments, he wanted to confess his sin. For a moment, Judah had a change of heart. However, it's a big however here. He chose not to humble himself. He hardened his heart against repentance and the old impulses gain, again controlled him. See, this is how it works. This is another lesson we learned right here in the upper room. If you are not living the Christian life and you feel rebuked in love by Jesus, by his word, do not do what, Jesus, what Judas did. Rather, confess and repent. Because he is faithful and just to forgive you, to forgive anything you've done wrong. Jesus paid for all of your sins, no matter what you have done. His life and death covers you. Just confess and let his love, let his love, let his grace cover you. See, when we harden our attitude, and we do not respond to Jesus' love, there is only one way. There is only one direction we could go, and that is away from Jesus. When Judas refused to respond to the amazing grace of Jesus for him, when he refused, when he rejected that love, 
his old impulses came back and controlled him again. Not only Judah did not accept the grace and love of Jesus, but now he felt offended that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. He thought, if Jesus could humble himself so much, this way, there is no way that this is the king of Israel. And all the hope he had of worldly honor and temporal kingdom was destroyed in his mind. That's what Ellen White says. I guess, that's my personal observation, that Judah was probably the first one to realize that Jesus was not going to be what they thought he was going to be. He did not see Jesus as the king of the Jews, but he did not see Jesus as the savior of the world either. Now, he, in his mind, became satisfied that there was nothing to be gained by following Jesus. And after seeing how he humbled himself, he considered himself deceived by Jesus. Do you see how quickly things can change in one's heart, in one's mind? Minutes ago, Judah's heart melted in response to the love of Jesus for him. And when he rejected that love and the grace, now he is in complete rebellion. Ellen White says he was possessed by a demon and he resolved to complete the work he had agreed to do in betraying the Lord. That was the experience of Judas washing the feet. There is another one that is worthy of watching and observing when Peter Peter's turn came. When, Peter, when Peter's turn came, he looked at the Lord and says, Lord, are you washing my feet? In verse 6. And Jesus said, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. See, Peter could not bear to see his Lord, whom he believed to be the Son of God, acting the part of a servant. He did not realize that it was for this that Jesus came into the world. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And to that, Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And this is the explanation, the exposition of the truth of what was going on right there in that service of washing the feet. The service Peter was refusing was a type of a higher cleansing. See, my friends, Jesus had come to wash the heart from the stain of sin. In refusing to allow Jesus to wash his feet, Peter was refusing the higher cleansing, including in the lower cleansing. He was really rejecting his Lord. 
you and I need to know that it is not humiliating for our master, for our Jesus, for our Lord, to allow him to work in us his purification. The truest humility is to receive with thankful heart any provision made in our behalf. That's what Ellen White calls it in Servant of Servants. Another lesson from the upper room. Truest humility is to accept with thankfulness Jesus' cleansing and to do the same for those around us. That is true humility. Accepting what Jesus did for us and doing to others exactly what Jesus did for us. This lower cleansing, the washing of feet, is a representation of the higher cleansing, the washing of the hearts by Jesus our Savior. When Jesus girded himself with a towel to wash the dust from their feet, he desired by that very act to wash away from them the alienation they had from God, the jealousy they had in their life, the pride of their hearts. And Ellen White writes, this was a far more consequence than the washing of their dusty feet. See, with the attitude they had when they entered the upper room, not one of them was prepared to commune with Jesus. No, not until they were brought into a state of humility and love. Their hearts needed to be cleansed. Pride and self-seeking create dissension and hatred. But all this, Jesus washed away in washing their feet. That's what Jesus did. And now looking upon them, Jesus said, you are all clean. What does that mean? When the washing of feet was done, when the cleansing of feet and heart was done, now there was union of hearts among them. They could love one another again. They had become humble and teachable. Except for Judas. Every disciple now was ready to yield another's place in the kingdom. They now were ready to receive Christ's words. And Christ Jesus was going to teach them important lessons and we will learn them. But before they even opened their ears, they needed a cleansing of their hearts. They needed to open their hearts to Jesus. They needed spiritual cleansing of their hearts. My friends, we're going to study the words of Christ in this upper room in the next sermons. And we're going to learn lessons from the upper room. But in order to receive them and for them to have full effect in our lives, we need to let Christ wash our hearts. This is what is called a higher cleansing. And this higher cleansing was represented through the lower cleansing washing of the feet. We need to do the same as we prepare our hearts to commune with Jesus next Sabbath. Next Sabbath we'll have communion service. 
See, Jesus did not allow his disciples to partake of the bread and the juice before they were spiritually cleansed. The foot washing represents that service that Jesus did to his disciples and is able and willing to do for you and me this coming week. So, I want to ask my dear wife, Pam, to come and to have a demonstration of how we do foot washing. Because I invite you to do the same at home. See, Jesus did this with his disciples. It is often said that we hurt most those whom we love most. I don't think you have said or done anything wrong to a stranger unless maybe in a road range, hopefully not. That's probably the only thing that I can think. Somebody can get angry with someone that they don't know. But most of the time, people do hurtful things and wrong things to those in their household, in their family, or in their church family. And Jesus wants to commune with us next week. And what we will do, we will do a demonstration here, and you will see us doing these things, that Jesus took a basin, he took off the sandals of his disciples, prayed for them to cleanse them, and then he literally washed their dirty feet. And he did it with a purpose. And we ought to do the same thing because these represent the sins in our lives. He's cleansing us as we participate in this service. And then he dried every drop of water off their feet. He took time to do that because it takes time. And Jesus will take time not only to cleanse you, but to heal you for all the wounds that you have had in, their, in your life. So I'm going to, we're going to make a demonstration for you this morning of this very thing. We're going to play the music while we're making this demonstration. I hope the camera can zoom in so you can see us. This is it. Jesus did it with his disciples. And we are invited to do it with his disciples too. Maybe someone you know that you must get things right with. If you know someone has something against you, this week take the time 
for God to cleanse your heart. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen.